0: Welcome to TIFF Talk, sponsored by Endogastric Solutions, a podcast that interviews physicians and real-life patients about the most common gastrointestinal disorder, GERD, commonly known as chronic acid reflux. Listen to patients and physicians interact, break down the disease from different perspectives, and learn how taking the next step in your treatment can change your life. For our audio listeners, you can see visuals on our YouTube channel at GERD Help. The TIF procedure may or may not be appropriate for your health condition. Only your doctor can explain the benefits and risks of all treatment options. Results may vary. Visit GERDhelp.com for more clinical data. The TIF procedure for reflux was developed by Endogastric Solutions Incorporated. Hello and good evening and welcome to our live Tip Talk event. I'm very excited uh, to have our special guest. We actually have three guests tonight. Uh, My name is Andrea Millers and I'm with Endogastric Solutions and today we've got uh, two physicians. We've got Dr. James Conti. Hi, Dr. Conti, thank you for being here tonight. Thank you. And we also have Dr. Cho, Steve Cho. And thank you, Dr. Cho, for being here as well and You're welcome. Lastly, we've got Annie, and she's actually one of Dr. Conti's patients. So um, just to give you a little bit of background, um, but before we start um, and give you the background of these physicians, uh, so a little background on uh, Dr. Conti, he's a board-certified gastroenterologist with Eisenhower Medical Associates in Rancho Mirage, California. His areas of specialty include GERD treatment and diagnosis, therapeutic endoscopy, gastrointestinal cancer, and inflammatory bowel disease. Uh, Dr. Conti earned his medical degree at Ross University of Medicine in Miramar, Florida, and his internal medicine and gastroenterology residencies and GI fellowships at Albany Medical College and Medical Center in Albany, New York. Uh, Dr. Cho is an advanced forget surgeon with Eisenhower Medical Associates and also Rancho Mirage, California. Dr. Cho earned his deg- medical degree from Drexel University College of Medicine in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. His general surgery residency at Hanneman, am I saying that right? Hanneman University Hospital in um, Philly and continued with subspecialty training in minimally invasive surgery at the Allegheny Health Network, Esophageal and Lung Institute in Pittsburgh. Uh, Dr. Cho specializes in in laparoscopic and robotic treatment of esophageal and gastric diseases, hiatal hernias, esophageal motility disorders, Mm -hmm. and GERD. So uh, that was long-winded, but we really wanted to make sure we gave you guys both uh, your accolades and what you do. Uh, Before we start, do you guys want to talk a little bit more about your practice specifically? Um, We all know that you're in Rancho Mirage, but I know you have probably separate practices, but uh, just let the audience know a little bit more about you guys.
1: Sure. Uh, I'll start it off, Steve. So I've been uh, practicing uh, in Rancho Mirage now for going on 10 years uh, in Southern California. Uh, We we love the area. Uh, Both me and my wife are physicians here. Uh, and we enjoy uh, everything that Palm Springs and uh, the desert area have to offer. Uh, we've been with Eisenhower, I've been with Eisenhower Medical Associates now for eight years. And uh, me and Dr. Cho started this collaboration going on about uh, over a year now. Uh, it's been a, a little bit of a rough, bumpy year uh, starting a program out during the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, mm-hmm. But we're excited to uh, bring new technology uh, to the desert. And uh, hopefully people will enjoy this talk and get some more information out about their treatments and different options uh, for anti-reflux surgery and some of the newest cutting-edge technologies that we're really trying to pioneer here in uh, the desert.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. And Dr. Cho?
2: Yes. uh, I've been in the desert for five years now, four years at Eisenhower Medical Center uh, treating patients uh, in the full gamut of general surgery, uh, specializing for gut, for GERD patients, hiatal hernia, esophageal cancer, gastric cancer, uh, along with just, you know, your run-of-the-mill appies and gallbladders and, and uh, everything. I'm to start this uh, with Dr. Conti um, because it, it's a need that that really is prevalent in, in our local community and, and abroad, and to have this technology that we can give the most advanced care to our patients is is really tremendous and exciting for me, so...
0: Fantastic. Thank you. And Annie, where are we, where are you coming in from today?
3: Um, I live in La Quinta, California. I've been in the Coachella Valley for about several years now, originally from Austin, Texas. And I came, I came to California with GERD.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, she's, she's actually from Austin and I was from California and we switched places. uh, I'm now in Austin, Texas. So, Um, quite the difference over here. Um, But thanks guys for being here. Um, Let's go ahead and start talking about GERD. Uh, Maybe Dr. Conti, you can give us an explanation of what is GERD and um, what could patients potentially be um, feeling or suffering from? What types of symptoms um, would one expect if they were suffering from GERD?
1: Sure. Uh, Well, acid reflux disorders in general, uh, which GERD covers quite a few different ones. Uh, Typically, I think the most uh, familiar that patients are is with standard heartburn, Uh, but there are quite a few different presentations that we see for acid reflux disorders, uh, including uh, epigastric pain, uh, difficulty with pain after meals, uh, then all the way up to, uh, in addition to heartburn symptoms, we sometimes deal with airway disorders, uh, patients having chronic cough, uh, sometimes difficulty swallowing, fullness in the throat. Um, So there's a variety of different presentations, uh, the most common probably being heartburn, uh, but it also can kind of present in many different other symptoms as well.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Um, and, you know, before we ask Annie a little bit more, um, what do you generally or start uh, telling patients to do um, when managing kind of that initial managing their GERD symptoms?
1: Uh, sure. I would say there's probably been a significant evolution in GERD treatment uh, over the last decade. Uh, as a gastroenterologist, we've kind of seen this transition of patients, uh, especially since the wide availability of acid reflux medications now are really commonplace in most pharmacies. And uh, so a lot of the patients typically 10 years ago would start out in my office with very basic reflux and heartburn symptoms. uh, And those have kind of unfortunately gone away for us. They were very easy patients to see and manage. Uh, a lot of patients now have access to a lot of different acid reflux therapies uh, that they can buy from their local pharmacy. Uh, so now, by the time we're seeing the patients uh, as a specialist, they've kind of really gone through the gamut uh, of treatments, and so we're seeing a lot more refractory patients uh, being referred to us from either surgery, from ear, nose, and throat specialists, pulmonologists, uh, or the other, or, pro- or from primary care doctors, really just who are having a real hard time. Uh, controlling their symptoms uh, with medications uh, is a very frequent uh, referral now pattern we're seeing. Yeah, yeah.
0: Annie, tell us a little bit about uh, what types of symptoms that you, um, well, how long were you suffering for a Um, A
3: a good four years, and Dr. Conti put me on a PPI, and toward the last two years or the last 18 months before I had the TIF procedure, I was breaking through the PPI, and my symptoms were heartburn, acid reflex, like round the clock. And I had pain. I had tightness in my chest. Um, I had trouble going to the restaurants because I didn't know what I could really eat, eat. And then I would get this choking sensation. And, you know, everybody thought, wow, what's going on with her? And it was just, you know, it interfered with what I was doing activity wise at the gym. And uh, I do mosaic art, so I have to pick up a lot of tiles and I have to sit down and, and every time I was sitting down, I was getting this chest pain and everything was just like bothering me. Yeah. I got to the point I couldn't even take vitamins. I mean wow. like I burn.
0: Wow, wow, that sounds, that sounds intense. Uh, so when, uh, when you decided, when did you decide that the TIFF was the right move for you?
3: Well, I had been seeing Dr. Conti, and, um, we were using the medicine. And then, you know, I ended up in an emergency room at Newport Beach one summer. And then when I came back from the summer, I saw a Dr. and I said, well, what are we going to do about all this? And he said, you know what? I have TIF. <laughs> so he explained to me what it was. And um, I decided to go through with it. I, I have to tell you, um, it's important when you're suffering from GERD and heartburn to find the right gastro. GI person, doctor for you, because you have to have a compassionate person, someone who really cares about your health and, you know, wants you to get better instead of telling you to just go home and take something over the counter. So Dr. Conti was all of that. He just was really caring, compassionate. I mean, he's a brilliant clinician and he's my rock star. (laughs) (laughs) So we decided to do it a year ago and I went ahead with it and it's really changed my life. Because I don't so. have any of that nonsense anymore. <laughs> yes.
0: Wow. Yeah. So I understand you even had your procedure, you know, just, was it just before COVID hit? Is that right? Yes.
3: Okay. Yes.
0: Okay. okay. And on
3: the 25th of February, and then I probably saw Dr. Conti around the beginning of March, and then everything got closed down. So I was to him through my chest So everything was good. Okay.
0: And um, the healing process and everything that you had to go through, I mean, it was probably an interesting time, um, you know, with the shutdown and everything. How, how was that, um, you know, the diet and, and everything that you endured? Well,
3: after- endured well after- um, it was fine. The first four to six days is rough because you really can't really swallow anything. And sometimes liquid is even hard, but you, ju- you have to try to keep yourself hydrated and by the sixth day you really feel like you're ready to move on to the next amount of food which might be oatmeal or yogurt and that kind of stuff and it's, it's a slow process wait from it and but you have to be very patient because now you've got a new lifestyle and a new way of leading uh, eating and you can only eat specific foods sometimes right, you, right. And your stomach is a little bit smaller so you can't you know fill it up like you might have beforehand
0: sure so, Dr. Conti, can you talk a little bit about, you know, uh, what uh, are the available options to treat GER at this time? I mean, obviously, we're talking about the TIF, and Annie had the TIF, but um, what do you offer to your patients? So we know, obviously, you know, not everybody's fit for a TIF procedure. There's other procedures out there. So maybe discuss that a little bit, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, kind of as we're developing uh, this newer technology and, and bringing it out to the valley, um, We've been doing a lot of combination procedures uh, with Dr. Cho and it's, it's very, we're very careful and kind of methodical about who have been picking uh, to undergo this new procedure. Uh, we want to make sure everybody has a, a good response and it's 100% success if possible. Uh, and so there's a lot of uh, preoperative testing uh, that patients are going through. Um, and it, so it includes kind of analyzing their swallowing function, uh, making sure they have the right type of reflux uh, symptoms through pH monitoring. Uh, and seeing clinical responses to medications as well. Um, there's a few different options that are out there for anti-reflux surgeries. Uh, I would say for the most minimally invasive versions, uh, the one being TIF uh, and the second one being Lynx. Uh, we've found that uh, through different avenues, I mean, that uh, TIF procedure seems to be a little bit superior to the Lynx procedure as far as patient satisfaction and how patients are doing postoperatively. Uh, and then the procedure we're doing a lot with Dr. Cho is really kind of an expansion of TIF, uh, and we're trying to find uh, a way to help patients with hiatal hernias that are a little larger. Uh, so the straight TIF procedure, uh, which is by, by definition incisionless, uh, is really designed for some of these smaller hernias. Uh, so some of the patients have kind of small hernias They we always used to think, I think that the way we we're trained is that, you know, you have a small hernia, shouldn't be that big a problem, take the medications, you should be fine. Uh, I would say as my career has kind of developed over the last 10 years through doing a lot of pH monitoring and really having an interest in GERD, i found that a lot of these really small hernias actually are quite active, uh, have a lot of symptoms, uh, and sometimes very, very ineffectively controlled with medications. Uh, and pH monitoring really has helped open our eyes to that. Um, and so it was, it was, I think TIFF really hit a sweet spot because we had these very small hernias. Uh, and we felt it was difficult to send patients for a very large operation uh, that Dr. Cho was typically performing before, something called Nissen fund application. Um, and then what we're really trying to develop now is, is trying to find the, a happy medium uh, for these larger hernias, because TIF is really only designed for a certain size hernia. Uh, but I would say a fair amount of the patients that we're evaluating have kind of are outside of the, the, the standard size that we typically would use for just a TIF procedure. Uh, We have a much older patient population, uh, so typically we're seeing some of these hernias that have been there for a long time, uh, Mm -hmm. so they are typically can be a lot wider in diameter and length uh, and would not be able to be uh, fixed with TIF alone. Uh, So that's really where we're trying to collaborate and um, offering a new style of surgical repair, uh, but keep it as minimally invasive as possible. Uh, And so the the collaboration between me and Dr. Cho really has allowed us to uh, kind of change the op- operation, so to speak, uh, where Dr. Cho's uh, surgical times and the amount of surgery that he has to do internally is reduced. Um, and then by me doing the intraoperative fund uh, fundoplication, uh, we're seeing really good results uh, with minimal recovery for the patients.
0: Fantastic. Thank-, thank you. And it's my understanding for Annie, you, you had a straight TIF, right? You did not have a hiatal hernia repair, correct? Right, right correct. Uh- Okay, so her, her hernia was not that large. Um, so let's, can you explain, and, and then I want to kind of go to Dr. Cho and have him discuss, you know, the hiatal hernia portion of it, but um, can you explain the TIF procedure and how it works? You don't mind, Dr. Okay.
1: It's kind of hard, it's kind of hard to do without like uh, having a nice- uh, I, having Graph. A yeah, the graph, uh, I have to say, I, I will direct people to endogastric solutions. So I'm sure they're uh, watching this Facebook live stream. Uh, but Endogastric Solutions has a wonderful kind of animatronic uh, video that they really um, can do a much better and eloquent job <laughs> of explaining what a TIF is through a cartoon. Uh, but essentially, in, in a nutshell, really what the TIF procedure entails, uh, as far as the endoscopic uh, fundoplication portion, is a device is inserted through the patient's mouth. Um, using that device, it has a kind of a retracting mechanism that we're able to kind of retract and pull down small hiatal hernias Um, When Dr. Cho is doing it, the hernia has already been reduced and is in place. So all I'm doing is essentially creating the fundoplication by retracting. The retraction device kind of pulls into this clamping mechanism. Clamping mechanism is then firing plastic sutures uh, across the esophageal uh, and stomach uh, intestinal mucosa and basically creating a little bit of a shelf. Uh, This shelf is then and scarred in place and it's essentially working as a kind of a barrier uh, to prevent food regurgitation acid from entering into the patient's uh, esophagus. Perfect, thank you. That was, that was good, even without it. A... <laughs> I've I done it a few times. I've had to explain <laughs> it many times on the, on the fly. It, it never gets easier for some <laughs>
0: <reason>. <laughs> Should roll off your tongue, right? It
1: should.
0: Uh, doc- I know Dr. Cho has uh, some slides to explain uh, the hiatal horn- hernia portion of it. Uh, do you want to pull those up and kind of explain how? There's a question here from a patient that's asking um, how how do you guys partner to, together and how does that um, how does it work? So this is good. This will hopefully build a picture of how you guys do that together.
2: So I, I hope the slides are up for everybody. I can see them yeah. Perfect. Yep. Perfect. We're good. So we have the normal. Uh, configuration here where the esophagus penetrates through the diaphragm which separates your thoracic cavity abdominal cavity and then the esophagus and the uh, stomach join Um, a hiatal hernia is where the anywhere from a proximal portion to a majority of the stomach can then escape up into the chest through a larger opening in the diaphragm and so that's what a hiatal hernia is the stomach moving up into the chest and what this does anatomically, then, is create the situation where it promotes reflux disease. Oops. There we go. Let me get that back up here. So in a normal configuration, you have the apex of the fundus or the stomach close to the diaphragm. And as it herniates up, it creates this reverse funnel, whereas gastric contents are churned within the stomach, they get pressed up into the esophagus, promoting GERD. So uh, that's how what Dr. Conti's is seeing in all the testing is being proven in terms of physiology and why it's important to fix these hiatal hernias to allow patients to receive uh, benefit. Perfect. Um, Thank you.
0: Oh, yeah. You, was that. Did you have more? No, no. <laughs> that's
2: it. That's it. <laughs>
0: sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Maybe you can uh, explain kind of what would a patient expect if they were coming in to do, you know, the combined surgery? Um, Who would they see first, and how would that orchestrate in the surgery or operating room?
2: (laughs) That's an excellent question, because really, they can come from any Avenue, They can come to me first for their hiatal hernia, being uh, referred by a primary care or even other gastroenterologists. Sometimes they'll see Dr. Conti first. So it it really goes back to uh, this technique is available for anybody. It's just a matter of selecting the right patient for the right procedure. And that's where all the testing that we do uh, beforehand really, really helps. Uh, Just like for Annie. She didn't have a hiatal hernia per se, um, but her testing showed that she had reflux disease and she was uh, refractory to medication. And so this is where doctors expertise and mine come into play where we can fit techniques to our patient, not a patient into a technique, if you understand my saying. Yeah. Uh, there's There's variable treatments available and it's just a matter of what's best for our particular patient. Um, And then when we collaborate, Dr. Conti and myself, whoever sees the patient first, we both evaluate the patient, make sure the patient understands both aspects of the surgery um, and are comfortable with us and and have answered all their questions and concerns, have done all the testing appropriately to make sure that this is the right patient, right procedure for the right patient. They come into surgery, I'll do my portion first in terms of reducing that hiatal hernia, returning the gastric anatomy to as normal as possible, which then frees up Dr. Conti to really come in and do that stomach wrap or fundoplication and uh, to provide that real treatment at that point. All
0: right. Yeah.
1: Dr. Conti, anything else to add? To that? No, no. Dr. Cho did an excellent job of explaining and 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 really it is a, 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 we have a really good collaboration, the two of us. And so we've been moving patients back and forth a lot. Uh, And like he was saying, we we see referrals from all different angles now. Uh, And as the program has been expanding, uh, even some of my my colleagues are also getting involved. uh, And as we're getting more comfortable with the procedure and the new technology, uh, that's another avenue too. So other gastroenterologists in the community are starting to refer to us to uh, have this new technology performed on their patients as well.
0: That's great. And I I really like what you were saying, Dr. Cho, you know, kind of that personalized approach to um, their treatment option. It's not just, here's, you know, you're looking at someone personally and and looking at what their uh, disease state is. And um, so I really really like that. Thank you. We have a couple of questions that have popped up on Facebook. So I'm just going to, if you guys don't mind, we're going to try to answer some of these questions uh, we've got uh, Mitch asking Does the TIFF damage the vagus nerve because uh, the staples seem to go right over it?
1: Uh, valid question. <laughs> um, we don't think so, you know, the, especially when we're doing the combination procedures uh, with Dr. Cho. Uh, one of the advantages of having that combination procedure done is Dr. Cho is actually able to identify the vagus nerve. Uh, carefully uh, sometimes dissect or make sure it's not uh, interfering with the surgery. Uh, and then we're, when he's reducing the stomach, typically we're not involving the vagus nerve. Um, but any, uh, you know, it's not. we can never say with 100% certainty that there, there cannot be an injury to the vagus nerve during any one of these surgeries. Uh, so it's uh, a valid question. Uh, but the, unfortunately, the answer is no, uh, no guarantees. Uh, but because of the minimally invasive nature of TIF and how it's done, Uh, we think that it's the best option for trying to avoid those complications.
0: Okay. Thank you. Uh, We've got a comment from Coraline. She said she had her TIF two weeks ago. Um, She's had no acid reflux since surgery. Fantastic. Uh, Her liquid diet ends today. Yippee, she said. Soft food diet starts tomorrow. Looking forward to it, she said. So congratulations, Coraline. Yeah. Uh, Then we've got, let's see, Andrea, she's asking, since there are numerous fasteners placed around the LES, does this limit the LES muscle from contracting and closing?
1: Um, Typically, if if we're doing it correctly, actually, the fasteners should be above the LES. Um, And so when Dr. Cho is uh, essentially reducing the stomach or when we're doing this procedure, uh, ideally, what we're doing is the fundoplication wrap. Uh, It's kind of an involution, if you want to think of it that way. Uh, Essentially, when we're bringing the stomach down, it's kind of involuting onto itself. Uh, And the fasteners are generally placed above uh, where the LES is. So we're using the Z-line as a target. The LES is is kind of a long muscle, so some of the fasteners may go into part of the LES. uh, But typically, the LES function is, is preserved, ideally. Uh, and then also the way the valve is created, it's supposed to give this kind of omega shape to it. So we're actually kind of reinforcing uh, LES function uh, with the valve. It is important that patients have a very well-functioning uh, LES, and that's one of uh, a very good point that the, they brought up inadvertently. And so that's part of the testing, uh, especially in our older patients that may have swallowing dysfunction. Uh, we always have to kind of figure out, make sure LES competency is, is working well uh, before we uh, move forward with any of these anti-reflux surgeries.
0: Perfect. Thank you.
2: Anything to add, Dr. Cho? I agree. It's very very important to do the proper testing so you're giving your patient the best treatment possible. And that that's the key, really, is is if, if they're not getting the testing beforehand, then it really is a crapshoot as to whether you're going to hit a vagus nerve or or incorrectly uh, augment the LES. Um, you're, you're just not doing it right. And so Dr. Conti and myself were very, very fastidious about getting all the testing completed before surgery.
0: Perfect, thank you. Uh, this question is for Annie. Uh, what part of your life has been impacted the most since your TIF procedure?
3: Um, I don't have heartburn or acid reflux. <laughs> <laughs> I can still have a cup of coffee in the morning.
0: Fantastic. Uh,
3: no wine, no red wine. I like vodka. Um, <laughs> I can just get on with my activities and I don't have to be worrying about Am I gonna have acid re- reflux in my throat?
0: That's awesome. Yes, awesome. All any activities? Whether uh, I know you mentioned um, what you do as far as uh, picking up the tiles and doing the mosaic work. Is there any other uh, activities? You know, physically that you weren't able to do previously that you're able to do now?
3: Right. I was. I was having a problem lifting weights because you know you're doing the whole upper body thing and you just you have the skirt there. Yeah. Yeah. So that- well, much better
0: one of the questions we get um quite often actually uh doctors is you know how how soon can i uh go back to exercising um after my tiff procedure or you know combined procedure um what do you guys normally uh, prescribe for physical activity or working
2: out or
1: you could go for that Steve.
2: <laughs> yeah. for, for a hernia repair, it's a little, little more intricate because you're, you are repairing the a defect in the diaphragm, and that takes time to heal. And um, minimum six weeks, I recommend going to eight because you really want to protect yourself and protect this investment you, you've just made for your future. So if you can give it eight weeks of no heavy lifting, nothing too strenuous, it really allows the scar to form, which is going to maintain that repair. Uh, for the length of your life. So uh, I, I recommend minimum six, ideally eight. Again, the larger the hernia, the, the longer, the more time I recommend. Um,
0: Perfect, thank you. Uh, so Mitch is, actually, he's got a lot of questions, so I'll try to uh, I'll get through this. Um, can you use skin as a patch over the hiatal hernia? So for you, Dr. Cho. Uh, no.
2: No, you you really don't want to use any patches or other type of um, artificial augmentation because uh, I, uh, through training, specialized training, you, you just realize they end up causing more problems than benefit. Uh, all the data and research has shown that they. But um, and when you go in to try and fix something that wasn't done properly or or f- failed for whatever reason, it just is a nightmare to to get through that tissue again, and increases risk for. Uh, injury to the esophagus or stomach. So, w- when I perform hiatal hernia repairs, and from my uh, extensive tra- training, it is done with uh, uh, no artificial augmentation, no mesh, uh, and to just uh, use proper technique in terms of no tension on the tissue or uh, minimize as much as possible.
0: Perfect. Uh, he has another question. Um, do some people, let's see, that did, I think he's saying dissection, not di- te- detection. Method for hiatal hernia seems unreliable. Some people retest, and it says they're hernia shrunk, what are the consequences of getting TIF if your hiatal hernia is actually quite large? So probably, I think what he's asking is, what if you get a TIF but not fix the hiatal hernia?
1: It doesn't work, (laughs) and so that's why we're very uh, careful in how we select the patients. Um, The issue really is that the fundoplication is an internal wrap, uh, and so in order for it to really ideally work to the 100% benefit, it needs to be in the right position, which is below the diaphragm. Uh, and so if we, by accident, or sometimes it's, it's hard to judge some of the size of these hernias, and we don't have a, a, a measuring stick, so to speak, uh, when I'm in there taking all our measurements. And so we're using a couple different modalities through imaging, manometry, uh, endoscopy, uh, to try to figure out the size of the hernias. Uh, but uh, ideally, for the fund application to actually be successful, it needs to be below the diaphragm. Um, and so that's why we're doing a lot of combination procedures uh, because most of the hernias we're evaluating really have the kind of, they're either borderline or they're just a little too large. Uh, and we feel that really ideally just doing even sometimes a very small diaphragm repair uh, will make the success of the TIFF procedure by itself uh, much more you know robust and, and likely to last for a longer period of time.
2: Yeah, okay. And you're right, it's very easy to miss a hiatal hernia, unfortunately. Uh, for any number of reasons, it is a dynamic environment. The stomach is moving; it's a mobile structure. Uh, that's how it gets into the chest. Uh, a, a case we just had that we shared, Dr. Conti and myself, it wasn't necessarily so much all the stomach. There was actually a lipoma that mm. was associated with the esophagus uh, that was contributing to to the dysfunction. So to get in there and really clear that out and uh, Make it a space that's available for Dr. Conti to do the uh, TIF procedure w- w- was huge.
1: Yeah, and, then, and then it, that's a one we certainly probably would have missed. I mean, honestly, when I'm all our evaluations are done internally uh, using different techniques, uh, and so I d- I can't really see things uh, that are going on outside the stomach uh, and in the abdominal cavity, uh, and so it's a little bit of a guessing game. But we're trying to take as much of the guess out as possible. Uh, And so doing a lot of these surgeries together, it's really helping us kind of narrow in the focus and figure out who's best for what type of procedure.
0: Yeah, I like that. Thank you. Uh, Andrew, we've got a uh, actual question from Andrew. Um, He's 33. He's been on PPIs for 12 years. Uh, It is 70 percent managed. At what point would you consider TIF or something similar?
1: It's a very good question. I, I think that, that's that's another population of patients that's becoming uh, a significant up and coming population. Uh, as uh, acid reflux therapies in general, they, they they start to get a bad rap uh, as far as long term use. Um, certainly, every year, every few years, we see a publication released about the harmful effects of uh, acid reflux medications. Uh, I can say with certainty there's there's good data out there to show that osteoporosis rates are definitely. Uh, Increased uh, with acid reflux therapy, just by the nature of the decrease in calcium absorption. Um, As far as some of the other things that have been mentioned, like heart disease, dementia, kidney issues, uh, I I would patients ask me all the time. You know, are these medications safe? Uh, I don't have a a real answer for them because those medications' side effects really have not been shown with statistical significance that they're an issue. Um, But I would say that's a really growing population uh, that's looking for alternatives to medications. Uh, and so we're the exciting thing about having minimally invasive surgery available to them, uh, we can potentially offer uh, a new treatment modality for them that does not involve medications. Uh, and when I talk to the patients about TIF procedures, I, only tell them, I, don't, I don't tell them 100% that they're going to be off medications. Um, the studies basically show 6 to 8 out of, out of 10 patients uh, will be able to stop their medical therapy uh, after they have this procedure done, but not a guarantee. There's a lot of wild cards in there, you know, how their lifestyle is, stress factors, dietary habits. Um, but certainly we can definitely make improvement uh, in how much medications they do require once they have the procedure done.
0: Fantastic. Let's ask Annie. Annie, are you still taking your uh, medications? No, your- I'm
3: not. No, I'm not. Um, if, I've, uh, if I have any healthy, then I might have to take a pepsit. But generally Never. speaking, you know, I haven't been on any medication and I don't want to be. So I'm doing fine.
0: Fantastic. Were you? So uh, do you normally have Dr. Conti and Dr. Cho um, patients stay on and, and uh, stay on PPIs right after the procedure or you have them right off of PPIs?
3: Um, I came depend- right off. <laughs> I, I hadn't yeah. been on it for about two weeks, so I didn't take any I got off. Okay. Yeah, that
1: was great. I, I, I've been I've been asking patients to potentially remain on it for just a few weeks, uh, for about thirty days, just to kind of keep the acidity down as the sutures and everything's trying to heal. Uh, yeah. wh- that's the only reason. I I don't know honestly if that's the right thing to do. It's it's kind of more anecdotal, but we just figure uh, let the environment in the stomach be as uh, you know healthy and re- receptive as possible to the surgical technique. Uh, mm-hmm. So typically, I am recommending about a thirty day uh, medication continuation. Um, generally, their diet is so augmented uh, because of the surgery itself, so they don't have a lot of reflux, so it's probably a little overkill. Uh, but after 30 days, we're allowing them to try to wean off and see how they do.
2: I think it's important to stay on medication while you're healing. Uh, GERD is very inflammatory. Uh, when Anytime I'm taking down a hiatal hernia on a patient who's had GERD for a long time, uh, the, the stomach or esophagus can be plastered to the thoracic wall. That doesn't happen in patients that don't have GERD. So we know that that reflux disease is transmural, meaning full thickness of the wall, leading to scar tissue, and you, you don't want that intense inflammatory response. So anything you can do to mitigate that is is good. So Yeah.
0: Great. Thank you. Uh, another question from Andrea. Andrea, what is the expected lifespan for a C. T- CTIF? Is it as durable as a traditional
1: fund application? I'd say the jury's still out, um, but, um, but it's, you know, obviously this procedure has not been around as long as standard NIS fund application, uh, but it is something that they're studying very closely. Uh, it does look comparable head to head equal uh, as far as Nissen, the standard NIS fund application is as far as how long it's lasting for, um, because we are seeing patients that have had the first generation of TIF procedures now out uh, eight years or more. Uh, And some of them are still doing very well. Um, But you're right, there is a failure rate for all anti-reflux surgeries. Um, We're trying to do the best we can. uh, And I think that's why the combination procedure is really going to, I think, rise to the top eventually. Uh, We're going to see that repairing the diaphragm in conjunction with the endoscopic fundoplication is really going to be, I think, the the leading way to treat reflux uh, going forward. Uh, But... Obviously, there's other options out there, and certain, her- and it's not designed for every hernia. Uh, right. So, th- this, the standard and uh will still always be there uh, and necessary uh, many times. Um, so,
0: yeah, thank you. One last question before we uh, kind of conclude. Um, and uh, Ryan's asking; he's, he's been on PPIs for 24 years, Nexium and Nexium. Uh, what is the difference between TIF and the Nissen fund application. Dr. Cho, maybe you can, or you both could kind of explain the anatomy and how that's different.
2: Uh, I guess really, um, the Nissen is the gold standard for a reason, um, it's, it's what's been proven to provide the most benefit for the longest period of time. Um, that said, it really depends on the clinician that you have, the surgeon that you you work with. If, if you have one that does it once a year it's not going to be as reproducible, or co- the quality is not going to be there as someone who does it one uh, every, five a week. So that's where I think TIF really comes into play: is that it takes some of the uh, finesse, if you will. Uh, it's it's a it's a very technical, chal- technically challenging procedure, and if you don't have the right surgeon doing it over and over again, your results will be variable, unfortunately. And, and I think with TIFF, it takes some of that out of it. It's not complete, but at the same time, uh, just from watching uh, Dr. Conti progress through it, I'm going, wow, that's... It takes the guesswork out of how much tension... Did I get the stomach too tight? Is it too loose? Is it exactly in the right place? He can see exactly what's happening from the inside. After a nissan, I go in with a scope and check my work um, to make sure. So... Uh, when it comes to it, I think in the long term, just like Dr. Conti saying, the combination probably will win out just by virtue of reproducibility and results. That's a good point.
1: Because what's really interesting about the combination procedure is exactly Steve hit it right on the head. Um, there's parts that the surgeon has to do from the outside that are that obviously I I would have a hard time understanding when I'm internally inside the patient doing my procedure, uh, and so it makes it ideal for. Dr. Cho to be able to do the dissection, pull things down, get fat out of the way, re- really repair the diaphragm down to almost an ideal size, uh, and then the fundoplication where we're really trying to help with the reflux issues. He was guessing from the outside, and so now we've kind of brought a new piece of technology in that we can now do the actual fundo part or the mm-hmm. wrap from internally and really try to finesse it and make it exactly the size that we want, uh, the length that we want. Uh, and in real time. Uh, and so, like he was saying, if you have a really skilled surgeon who's trained properly and who does a lot of Nissen fund applications, they're probably going to hit it on the money every time. Uh, but when you have surgeons that are maybe dabbling in, in fund application and in, uh certainly there can be not as good outcomes. And so, it's kind of really combined the best of both worlds. And I think that's really going to uh, show in, in, in the long run.
0: Fantastic. Perfect. Thank you. Um, well, we're coming down to the end, uh, but before we conclude, Annie, um, I'm gonna throw it over to you. Are, uh, do you have any advice for uh, patients that, you know, have gone through the same thing that you have gone through? Um, what what do you, what do you say to them, or what do you um, advise them to do um, if they have GERD?
3: Um, I really don't think there's no need to suffer with GERD. And if you can work well with the GI that you've chosen and perhaps, you know, the medication works for you and you don't have the kind of episodes that I had, then that's fine. Um, My husband is managed on uh, our medicine and he does really well. Um, I just it was just interfering with my life too much. So it was better for me to go ahead and do the do the procedure.
0: Perfect. Thank you. Be your own advocate, right? I always say that. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, uh, next month is April, and uh, it's actually esophageal cancer awareness month, um, which we're trying to, obviously, um, and maybe you can talk, both of you guys can talk, doctors, about um, GERD and and esophageal cancer, and is is there a correlation, and what, you know, maybe Talk a little bit about that.
1: <laughs> sure, not not to bore bore, bore our audience yeah. too much, but yeah, the uh, yeah certainly there is a, a significant association with acid reflux disorders and the development of esophageal cancer. Um, statistically, we think about five to ten percent of patients who suffer from reflux uh, will have a precancerous condition known as Barrett's esophagus. Uh, and essentially, what Barrett's esophagus is is a change. Uh, in the mucosal lining of the lower esophagus, just from constant injury of acid splashing into that area. Uh, And and we believe that Barrett's esophagus, although it sounds really bad, uh, honestly, most of the patients who have Barrett's will not necessarily get esophageal cancer. So I don't want to scare everybody out there who's listening, who knows they have a diagnosis of Barrett's. It's only a small section of the patients with Barrett's esophagus uh, that will then go on to potentially develop esophageal cancer, somewhere in the order of uh, 7 to 10%, we think. but. It brings up a very good point that, you know, having, understanding what GERD is and what your symptoms are, how long you've had symptoms, really just talk to your clinician about it. Um, you should have some kind of endoscopy done uh, to visualize the area to and screen you, especially if you've had symptoms for more than 10 years, uh, making sure you do, you're not, do not have the precancerous condition. Um, and the patients who do have Barrett's esophagus typically are in some kind of surveillance program uh, that we're, uh, watching them closely to uh, hopefully help them prevent uh, get esophageal can- getting esophageal cancer. Uh, and then what how that ties into TIFF and, and hiatal hernia anti-reflux surgery, you know, there are a lot of patients that we, I do treatment for Barrett's esophagus trying to get rid of it. Uh, there's certain um, endoscopic therapies that patients can undergo to help reduce their risk of esophageal cancer. Uh, and anti-reflux surgery is part of that um, because just treating the Barrett's, uh, you know, in a patient who has a hiatal hernia, likely they're going to get uh, possibly injury again over time and so some of them we really are looking at closely to see whether or not they would benefit also from anti-reflux surgery in addition to uh, treatment of their barracks.
2: I agree. Uh, the medication hasn't been proven to prevent the progression to disease to cancer. It's a it's an ugly C word and it's real and unfortunately you don't catch it until it's too late because mm-hmm. they do take these PPIs or they deal with, they live with their new normal. Annie, was suffering and she thought this was normal until even the medicines didn't work. So there's a lot of patients out there that think this is normal because everybody has heartburn, but mm-hmm. it's not. And so you really have to de- rely on your clinicians and and be your own advocate to a certain extent, and say, hey, I would really appreciate surveillance, meaning at least endoscopy, appropriate biopsy uh, from from your uh, gastroenterologist. And then understand what are the options here? Because uh, if you're on lifelong PPI, the, cancer is not out of the picture here so you really have to look at family history what are the other risk factors and and do the appropriate surveillance of uh, catching barrett's early because there it is a progression of disease from uh, non-dysplasia to dysplasia and then to cancer so um, to get it early is key and unfortunately that gets missed
3: yeah
0: yeah, that's a good point. Uh, we here at Endogastric Solutions lost one of our own colleagues um, about a year and a half ago from esophageal cancer. So um, it's close to heart for us, and that's why we're we're doing our best um, to raise awareness around it um, and GERD. So uh, thank you for answering that and and bringing um, those points up. We really appreciate it. So um, I can't thank you guys enough. Uh, again, Annie, for being here and telling us your story. and. Dr. Cho and Dr. Conti, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know you guys are really busy as well. Um, so we appreciate your time. But before we go, um, remind everyone where they can, um, I think all your contact information is on the screen right now. So if you are in the Rancho Mirage area, or I should say the kind of the whole Palm Springs, Palm Desert area, right? Southern um, California. Southern Cal- even Southern California. <laughs> there you go. You can drive in to the desert. Uh, they next- do. Uh, Dr. Cho and Dr. Conti. Um and then do, any any should they just reach out to your office if they want to schedule an appointment with you? What's the best way to to, to see you guys if they were wanna see you?
2: Yeah, just give it give my office a call. <laughs> yeah,
1: don't, you'll probably have lot be bashful. better luck. <laughs> no, no, and you'll probably have better luck getting into Steve's office because I have a real long wait list. So wow. go see Steve. Come see me. We'll take care of your reflux, but be patient <laughs> and persistent. Things are taking off in a big way for us, and obviously with the pandemic, uh, we had a, a significant backlog, and and uh, we're we're just really trying to catch up on things. But we're we're happy to to be offering this service to all the people of the Coachella Valley, and um, and and so that's all I have to say.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you guys uh, very much. Um, And if you're not in uh, Southern California and or don't want to fly out there, uh, we do have GERDhelp.com. You can go visit that website. And on there, uh, there is a physician finder. You can put in your zip code or your state, and you'll be able to find a TIFF trained physician in your area. Uh, Again, I can't thank you, everybody that jumped on and asked questions. Annie, thank you. Dr. Cho, Dr. Conti, thank you both for being here tonight and, uh, catch us next time next Tuesday for our next TIFF Talk. Thank you very much. Have a good night. If you are suffering from chronic acid reflux and want more information, please visit GERDhelp.com or download our GERDhelp mobile app. Thanks for tuning into another episode of TIFF Talk. Leave your questions and comments on our social media at GERD help. Live well, GERD free.